0: Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiative's podcast. My name is Oliver Hartwig. I'm joined today by my colleague, Bryce Wilkinson. Hi, Bryce. Hi,
1: good morning, Oliver.
0: We want to talk about a paper we have jointly written, but since you are the principal author, I've decided to interview you about it. (laughs) The paper is called The Deficit Diaries, Six Years of Red. And we are looking at the fiscal record of the current government over those past six years. Now, the starting point is actually a controversy right before the 2017 election that we all probably remember really well. It was the fiscal whole saga. Maybe we start there. Remind us and remind our listeners what really happened in this fiscal whole saga. What was all of this about?
1: Yes, it was started by Stephen Joyce in his capacity as Minister of Finance under the national government at the time. And um, when uh, Labor then in opposition released a its fiscal plan, which um, had been checked by the economic consultancy firm Burrell and went out under their heading, he said that the um, it, there was a fiscal hole, that uh, it was an error,
0: meaning that the numbers uh, didn't add up.
1: Yes, that's right. There was. Uh, it sounded like he was saying there was an arithmetical mistake in the plan. And the media interviewed a, a bunch of economists, none of them, who, of whom were ex-treasury economists, and they said, well, no, the numbers did add up. And, and did they? Indeed, they did. Yes, there wasn't any arithmetical mistake.
0: That would have been too embarrassing for Burl, of course.
1: Yes, that's right, and you wouldn't expect it to make a mistake. So
0: basically what they did was they projected how much tax revenue there was going to be over the next five years, Then they also projected the expenses over the next five years and then they took one off the other and came to the conclusion that everything was fine and in the end there would still be a budget surplus, roughly.
1: Oh yes, yes, the plan was just to continue with budget surpluses right through for the next five years.
0: And they also projected that additional spending was going to be relatively low.
1: Yes, it was just an increase of $11.7 billion in the five years ended June 2022.
0: Which is incredibly tight, if you think $11.7 billion, I mean, not $11.7 billion per year, but over five years.
1: Yes, that's right. And that was exactly what troubled uh, ex-treasury people like myself, who, who are more familiar with the public accounts.
0: Because that's not uh, what usually happens.
1: No, no. What had happened was Labour had used some of the nationals' allocations for additional spending for unplanned things like cyclones or earthquakes or whatever and had uh, pre-spent them, in effect, which meant that it didn't have enough left in its uh, allocations for new spending to pay for likely wage and salary increases and other things which came up. So the problem wasn't in the arithmetic the problem was that what was in the plan didn't seem to, consistent, to be consistent with what they were likely to spend.
0: Well, there was also an inconsistency with Labour's rhetoric at the time, because if we just remember the 2017 election, it was all about fixing every single social problem that New Zealand had at the time. So they were talking quite ambitiously about ending the housing crisis, ending poverty um, yeah, cleaning, up,
1: cleaning up the rivers is the up one I remember. Yeah. rivers yeah.
0: and getting us to zero carbon and basically everything but on um, a, a shoestring budget, really.
1: Yes, that was the problem. It was highly aspirational. That was doing everything for everyone. So the rhetoric yeah. didn't match the figures. Yes, that was the problem.
0: So in a yeah. way, both Stephen Joyce and Grant Robertson at the time were right. I mean, Grant Robertson could always say, "Well, but my figures add up because uh, that's just how I designed them." Yes. But Stephen Joyce had a point where he said, "Yeah, okay, they might end up, uh, add up, but um, really, are they realistic? Probably not."
1: Yes, yes, that was right. Well, the good yeah. thing is
0: now. I mean, that was a discussion back in 2017, but now we've got the benefit of hindsight, so we can actually see how that played out.
1: Yes, but we're almost reliving it um, with, you know, uh, Grant Robinson's as minister recent uh, declarations of saving money and running a very tight uh, ship for the next five years. That's true. Let's let's
0: park that thought for the moment. But let's just have a look at what happened. And by the way, one of the things now that Robertson and Hipkins go on about is, of course, yeah, okay, that was our plan back then. But of course, things happened. So COVID happened. We didn't see that coming and of course we couldn't have budgeted for it in 2017. The thing is actually, there were two years before COVID happened, which already gave us a good indication of really how Labour was actually behaving in government.
1: Yes, that's right. And uh, the, the forecast 11.7 billion increase had come uh, had already jumped to about 28 billion by two, but before COVID was known to be coming.
0: So yeah. just over two years. Yes, yes. And... On top of that, of course, they were lucky because tax revenues were still coming in. Otherwise, it would have been even worse.
1: Yes, that's right. Tax revenues were higher than in the fiscal plan. So they'd been lucky with a bit more income growth and revenue growth up to that point.
0: And it was not just a fiscal situation which was markedly worse than what they had projected. It was also um, in beneficiary numbers and welfare that we could see quite a dramatic shift occurring after the 2017 election.
1: Yes, that's, that's really troubling. And Treasury's latest forecast showing it persistent at, at much, much higher levels than was expected back in 2017.
0: So let's just put some numbers to that. In 2017, uh, Labour inherited about 120,000 people on job seeker support. And that number, by the way, had been consistent and stable, really, for the past maybe three, four years prior to that election. Yes. So by 2019, end of 2019, that number had gone up by 27,000 people already. So it was a bit of a spike from, yeah. from a, um, a line, from a graph, really, where nothing really shifted much during the national government. Suddenly, we had 27,000 extra job seeker support people.
1: Yes, and the debate had changed. Under the previous uh, national government, the focus was on a, a social investment approach and trying to get people off being dependent on welfare and into jobs. And if you remember, the debate then was, well, are they good enough quality jobs? Because you're not helping people and not of a, a lousy jobs. Well, that debate's gone. There's no debate about getting the benefit numbers down and uh, people into productive work. But they should be.
0: So let's just um, have an interim conclusion then. So by the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020, so COVID hadn't started at all, Mm. the fiscal situation had deteriorated markedly. Labour had been a little bit lucky with higher than expected tax revenues, but beneficiary numbers had also started climbing. And on top of that, of course, the official unemployment rate, by the way, was actually falling.
1: Yes, low low unemployment. Yes. So
0: low unemployment and still higher job seeker beneficiary numbers mm. and a deteriorated fiscal situation overall. And that was the situation before COVID.
1: Yes. And and the numbers were big. You know, to blow out from an eleven point seven billion increase to a twenty-eight or twenty-nine billion increase is, is massive. It's
0: quite significant. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and then COVID happened. And then Covid effectively opened all the fiscal floodgates.
1: Yes, it wrecked uh, the the revenue growth. So that extra revenue that had been looking at and spending had gone, and um, the spending went way up. It ended up for that five year period being not eleven point seven billion higher than than, uh, than as planned, but seventy seven billion higher.
0: Now, I think we should probably say, for the record, some of the spending in response to COVID was defensible and in in fact we supported it at the time and I would still support it today because it was, from my perspective at least, a regulatory intervention to shut down the economy and so it was only fair that government then helped these businesses to stay connected with their employees.
1: Yes, absolutely. So so the concerns not with that, not so much with the 77 billion as, uh, as in the current spending plans which show it's going to be uh, uh, sustained essentially in real per capita terms.
0: Well, what I would say though is um, it became clear relatively quickly that we were dealing with a supply shock, uh, with an exogenous supply shock, kind of textbook style, mm-hmm. and not with a lack of aggregate demand in the economy. So you couldn't actually treat this like a normal kind of recession in a Keynesian way. And therefore, I think government overshot um, when it came to the rescue and recovery policies.
1: Yes, and the central bank was part of that too. Mm. Um, It was the combination of the two, uh, which has been particularly costly, particularly for the housing market.
0: Mm. But the thing is actually... It's not so much about the COVID response itself. I mean, even though that was exaggerated and probably more costly than it should have been, it's more with the situation now post-COVID that the government was unwilling or unable to return spending levels to pre-COVID time levels.
1: Yes, that's right. Spending as a percentage of GDP, which is a longstanding measure is running at about 32% of GDP. And that used to be? be about 28%. Yeah.
0: So really we have increased government spending quite substantially since covid and actually when we're looking at the government's uh, pre-election uh, economic and fiscal update it's supposed to stay like this for the foreseeable future.
1: Yes and that's that's the big concern. Extra spending under covid understandable but sustaining it why and who's seen the benefit?
0: The really surprising thing about PREFU was to see government spending now at the level it was in that first year of COVID 2020, which was an extraordinary year with extraordinary government spending. And that's the new normal now.
1: Yes, it is. It's a a little bit below, in real per capita terms, a little bit below that peak, but uh, still vastly above where it was before COVID struck and creeping back up towards that peak, yeah.
0: The other thing that's well above pre-covid levels are of course these job seeker numbers we mentioned before. So by 2020 they had gone from 120,000 roughly to about 147,000, but now Treasury expects uh, not to see a drop below 189,000 mm-hmm. job seeker support um, recipients until 2026 or 7.
1: Yes, that
0: extraordinary, isn't it?
1: Yes it is and there's a whole bunch of problems there which are very discomforting, so the homelessness and people living in in motels for for more than months sort of years in some cases that it's all terribly wrong
0: and that's the other factor that we mentioned in the paper. All of this spending increase happened without seeing a corresponding improvement in general living conditions, so the government. Is spending like uh, never before, and yet we know and we hear about problems on a daily basis in education, in health, in crime, in the housing market, wherever you look.
1: Yes, and the concern is that the the cost of living problem is more serious than people probably realise because the government's been doing all this borrowing, unplanned borrowing, to. Um, Not to hide it from them in any subversive sense, but um, in their terms, to protect them from them. So people aren't really seeing the reality of what's happened. And it's coming through the current account deficit and the balance of payments too. We've lost a lot of income from tourism and international students. So as a country, we're outspending our income building up the international debt. And the adjustments have to be made, resources have to be shifted around so that as a country we're living within our incomes again.
0: Now, here we are again, right before another election in about two and a half weeks' time. And it feels a little bit like 2017, doesn't it? So we've got fiscal plans, and yeah, on paper they all add up and there are no mathematical mistakes. Mm. But at the same time, they don't feel realistic.
1: Yes, it is a sense of deja vu, as the French say, Yes,. Yeah, yeah.
0: So is it just a sense of deja vu on the government side or on the opposition's as well?
1: I think it's it's shared, and not just the two major parties either. Yeah. And what it's telling us is something about what the politicians how the politicians think the electorate will vote. So,
0: so we're living in a bit of a fiscal illusion at the moment, where we pretend that everything is kind of fine. Yes. And then the big awakening will come probably on the 15th of October.
1: Yes, that could well be. And there's sort of this pretense going on that go- government's just a bottomless pit, and the more the government promises to make free or to spend, well, the easier things are for people. But really, uh, when when the government's running deficits, it's just like, borrowing on the credit card to keep the household expenses going.
0: But the weird thing is, of course, Ruth Richardson put all of these transparency measures in place to prevent exactly that kind of situation.
1: Yes, and what she did really has made a difference. We are getting these Treasury-published forecasts, and we can use them to evaluate uh, things. So we're definitely in a much better position. But the problem's not solved, and it's partly voters voting for wishful thinking. So
0: the problem is not solved. Isn't the problem really that Treasury is bound by law to take everything that the Minister of Finance tells Treasury as a given?
1: Yes, yeah, but I think that's quite proper. Um, I'm not critical of that process because the the, the, the Minister of Finance is forced to declare that he's told Treasury everything that they're planning to do and treasury obliged to say that they've taken all that into account in their forecast.
0: Even when treasury tells us between the lines in this year's preful then the minister's assumptions may not be realistic. Yes,
1: it's essentially said there's a, there's a whole bunch of optimistic things in here. But that's yeah, that's that's a job, I think. I don't criticise Treasury for that.
0: No, you can't criticise Treasury <laughs> for that because that's what they have to do by law, Yeah, un- unfortunately. Um, but still, you wonder, actually, what purpose does prefu then still have if the assumptions are unrealistic, if Treasury effectively co- concedes that, but the public doesn't actually see beyond what is actually just printed on paper and just takes it as complete gospel?
1: Well, I think, you know, that's why... We need organisations like the New Zealand Initiative and other external commentators to be able to interpret it for the, the public and give them a heads up that this is this is what's happening.
0: Didn't really happen much in 2017 when we had the fiscal hold saga. I mean, there were journalists and experts on both sides. In, in hindsight, of course, we know which side won. <laughs> yes, that's right. But um, we probably have the same problem today. The public doesn't quite actually look beyond the Prefu headline numbers and just judging by some reports on Prefu in the media, most journalists don't do that either. So actually I I heard some journalists saying, well, actually we expected much worse, but as Prefu shows us everything is fine, nothing to see, move on.
1: Oh yes, that's right. There's 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 undue complacency and uh, I blame in part the IMF's last assessment of New Zealand for that. Yeah, let's
0: talk about that. What yeah. did the IMF tell us?
1: It it said that okay, New Zealand's public debt has, has gone up a bit, but it's still a lot lower than it is in 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 Europe and uh, the US, UK, other countries. With the implication that it was that that's okay. That that, debt, that that was essentially saying their debt levels are okay and ours are a bit better, so we're okay. But it's simply complete nonsense to say that their debt levels are okay. Uh, in the US, for example, its debt hasn't been as high relative to national income as at the end of World War II. Mm. Well, this is peacetime, not
0: wartime. So this uh, is not a time for complacency for New Zealand?
1: No, no. The international debt situation is still troubling and is likely to throw up... Um, adverse shocks, and New Zealand needs, if anything, to be better protected against that than before.
0: And we need to realise, of course, that today's deficits are tomorrow's taxes.
1: That's exactly right, and I don't think that's sufficiently appreciated.
0: Well, then let's spell that out a little bit. Um, One of the figures in our report, um, I I think, is, is quite stark, you calculate that just the additional debt incurred from 2017 to 2022, so that five-year period over which the whole debate was about, was worth about five months of tax revenue.
1: Yes, yeah, that's right. You, you can assess the build-up in the debt due to the deficit spending and compare that with one year's tax receipts. So yeah. over
0: five years, we amassed debt worth Five months of all tax revenue in New Zealand. Yes, five that, months
1: of just one year. Yes. Yeah.
0: That is astonishing and I think most people would have no idea.
1: No, they they think that a bit more government spending can ease their cost of living problem. They don't realise that it's already borrowed another, another five months of tax payments. And of course um,
0: that was only up until 2022 and we've since borrowed a lot more. In fact, we keep borrowing like never before.
1: I'm not sure about never before, but no, 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 <laughs> so, no, don't, t- don't yeah. take it literally. But yeah. we're borrowing quite a lot. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's it's getting you know it's getting worse. The the, the deficits uh, in this year and last year were very very high.
0: So our wish list and our recommendations to whoever forms government after the 14th of October would be to repay the debt, get spending down to previous levels probably have more transparency and a different kind of institutional setup for delivering these pre-foods.
1: Yes, and much 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 better quality spending. I mean, 77 billion extra. How many people are seeing real benefits from that where we're not when we look at education, crime, sort of housing, health where we're not seeing outcomes anyone can feel good about.
0: Well, then let's hope that we have contributed a little bit to the fiscal policy debate with this paper. Um, You can find it on our website. It's called Deficit Diaries, Six Years of Red. And as we just discussed, um, even though we're going back to an incident that happened in 2017, this is really current today because we see history repeating. But for now, thank you, Bryce, and I hope um, you will enjoy that paper. Thank you, Oliver.